Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 26th of June, 2023. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff, action-packed program for you, as always. We'll give away the books tomorrow show. This show was, uh, I did the fill-in on uh, WMAL on Saturday from 4 to 7. I'll be back there this Saturday from 4 to 7. And uh, so I'm just repurposing it, because why try to recapture lightning in a bottle, am I right? Of course I'm right. So let us get right to it, because it's actually longer than usual. So here you go. The big news, really, is we've got... uh, You go to bed one day, and you've got a coup. You wake up the next day, and you've got a stalemate or detente or some sort of agreement, and you don't really know what the hell is going on. You're sitting there going, I was promised a coup. What's happening? And um, we don't really know what's going on over in Russia, the Wagner Group. See, over there, the filthy rich have military. They have their own armies, the oligarchs, many of them, not all of them. Some of them just want to do a bunch of cocaine and, and, uh, well, they basically want to live Hunter Biden's lifestyle. But others do have vested interests in political power, et cetera, et cetera, and they want to uh, have the ability to defend themselves. They know Vladimir Putin, and they think, well, if he comes after me, I'm uh, I'm at least going to have somebody, a group of people on the payroll who can get me to the airport, right? I didn't buy this fighter jet for nothing. You've got to have a way out. You've got to have enough power. It's a really screwed up system, but you've got to have enough power to be protected if you're on Putin's radar to be able to make him think it probably would be uh, costly at a minimum if I decided to go after this person. It's a really weird situation over there. And one such person is Yevgeny Prigozhin. Now, if I mispronounce that name, who cares? You're never going to meet him, and it doesn't really matter, and he may not matter after this weekend anyway. So he had his army down in Ukraine because, you know, you're making most of Russia operates on bribes, on graft, on throwing money around. And there are, frankly, a lot of these oligarchs who really do like being out there and, and, and doing bad things. But he got, eventually apparently got sick of the way things were going in Ukraine, as I think most people would. There doesn't seem to be any progress. You're sitting there and you're going, we, we can't take... It'd be like us going, we're going to invade Canada. And then a year and a half later, we still haven't taken Canada. We haven't even gotten to Toronto. We're like, what the heck is going on? So uh, people are starting to question things. And so Prigozhin took his Wagner group, his private army, and decided he was going to go and march on Moscow. And he thinks Vladimir Putin is weak enough that he could go do it. It's actually, it actually is an insurrection. It makes January 6th look like a, a picnic, but they're not really calling it that. And that caused an uproar across the media and across the people who really do like there being a war in Ukraine. If public sentiment in Russia starts to change to the point that a couple of other oligarchs decide, you know what, I'm going to use my private army too, and we're going to surround Moscow, and we're going to make sure that Putin either knocks this off or is deposed, then things wouldn't uh, 
keep going as as well, shall I say, jokingly, as as they have been. If you look at the uh, government just last week, what did they find? Six point two billion dollar accounting error, and oops, we got six point two billion dollars more than uh, we thought we had to give to Ukraine because we counted stuff wrong. So they're throwing money around left and right. And if you don't think beaks are not being wetted, like it's a birdbath convention over there, uh, across the globe by the people who find a way to wet their beaks and such things, and you haven't been paying attention. So $6.2 billion more is, is nothing to sniff at. It's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty sweetheart deal. So... They have a vested interest in this thing going. That's why the American policy is we're going to keep throwing good money after bad. We're going to keep throwing good money at Ukraine pretty much no matter what. As long as Ukraine is there to catch the money, we're going to start throwing Brinks trucks worth of money over to Ukraine. Doesn't make much fiscal sense. You'd be bankrupt by the end of next week if you lived your life that way, but You'd be doing it with your money, so you wouldn't live your life that way. If you're doing it with other people's money, like the government does, you get to live large. So, they turned on Russia, and now they've stopped, or so they see. And this gives everybody a great chance to Monday morning quarterback what's going on, and you have the usual suspects. It's really easy to be brave by proxy. It's wildly easy to be a hero by proxy, especially when you yourself decide what constitutes a hero. And so you've got the Adam Kitzingers of the world, and you've got the Chris Murphys of the world, Senator from Connecticut. They're all out there going, well, be careful, be careful. This guy marching on Russia is not, uh, not a good guy. Nobody thinks anybody's a good guy. Nobody in any position of authority or in any position of power or any position to threaten Vladimir Putin, let alone do something about it, but conceptually threaten Vladimir Putin is a good dude. It's not like, well, you know, but uh, Putin's secretary of the interior, he's just the salt of the earth. Dictators don't tend to surround themselves with good people. And it's people who have ingratiated themselves. And good people tend not to ingratiate themselves to evil dictators. It's weird how that works. Shouldn't need to be pointed out, but apparently we need an abject lesson in realpolitik here in Washington, D.C., sadly. But... So everybody there is a bad guy. Everybody in a position is bad. If you have a private army, there's not really a, uh, boy, it's a private army, yeah, but it's, uh, it's a magnanimous private army. They're, they're, really, they're really good. What they do, rather than going out and training all the time with guns, is they, uh, they carry soup around to people and they feed the homeless. Well, that sounds more like the Salvation Army. Well, it's different because if you tick off the oligarch, they will gut you like a pig. But that's beside the point. Anyway, Chris Murphy, Democrat, and there isn't a single Democrat who isn't fully in favor of pretty much anything that costs a ton of our money, came out uh, just a few hours ago and put out a Twitter threat. says, I and my team are following events in Russia and Ukraine closely. Here's what I can share right now. This sounds to me like somebody, everybody knows somebody who... uh, talks about how good friends they are with somebody famous or how they, they know... Inf- Look, I know some things. I can't tell you what I know. But all these people, they, they just say it to puff themselves up. That's what Chris Murphy sounds like. There's a, here's what I can share right now. The rest of the stuff, I'm way more important than you. I'll keep to myself, but trust me. Don't worry. I and my staff, my team of recent college graduates are on the team. One, Putin's weakness has been exposed. He could survive, but power in Russia will be forever scrambled after this weekend. 
he tweeted this about an hour and a half before the uh, the Wagner Group stopped advancing. So I'm not really sure how much of it's still operative, but I'm just illustrating the point of these people who are basically telling you don't don't think we're going to stop throwing money at Ukraine just because. Of it. Says two Prigozhin believes he has the Russian people on his side, but the force he is moving towards Moscow is small. No way to know if there will be military conflict and whether Prigozhin is right. Putin still controls the media. He, I assume he means his, his, he hold on Russian mind is still strong. United States Senator from Kentucky, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, great, fine. This is something I think most high school students who read a newspaper once a month could have posited, but it's a tweet from a United States senator. Then it is, uh, yes, he, he went from one, two, and then four. I don't know if there was a three that he deleted or he doesn't know how to count. Maybe he was wearing mittens and lost track. Who knows? Four, yes, Pagosian seems to have uh, soured on the Ukrainian invasion. That's good news. But he is equally, if not more dangerous than Putin. Americans shouldn't instinctively root for Pagosian. A civil war inside Russia is potentially cataclysmic. Well, yeah, it certainly is. As long as it may, remains inside of Russia, though, Russia has to sort itself out, does it not? Shouldn't we be rooting for Russia to sort itself out no matter what it is? If it gets the war in Ukraine done, I get it. We've got billions of dollars we want to send over there in exchange for millions for degenerate children of corrupt politicians. But shouldn't we be rooting for the end of the loss of life at some point? Shouldn't we be doing this? We we refuse. Everybody suggests we should maybe try to negotiate a, a peace settlement here. Some sort of detente, some sort of withdrawal from is like met like they just went and French kissed Mussolini while stroking Hitler's mustache with their like that's not exactly a tradition in America you should prepare for war but hope for peace we're not even involved in this so it makes it easier for these keyboard warriors to be heroes and it's really easy to be a hero by proxy if if being a hero only required you saying stuff everybody's a hero not all heroes wear capes but some of them have bowl cuts and wear suits and are United States senators from Connecticut. But we should. Right now, while there is this lull, whatever, I don't know what's going to happen or if anything will happen or if Vladimir Putin's just going to blow the hell out of the Wagner group. But at this point, would be a pretty good time to say, hey, Vlad, maybe you want to consider ending this Ukraine thing. But there doesn't seem to be anybody in this administration remotely interested in saying, hey, Vlad, maybe you want to consider ending this Ukraine thing right now. Wouldn't you think that'd be a good time? Like, hey, the wheels are kind of coming off. Maybe you shouldn't keep barreling down the hill in this car. Maybe you, you it, maybe don't tap the brakes, but take your foot off the gas at a minimum. Coast to a stop. But you can't suggest that. They're not suggesting it. You got Chris Murphy here saying, no, this guy could be, he might be worse. You ever notice that with Democrats? Everybody that they don't like is Hitler. And anybody else who comes up is probably worse. I mean, it's a hell of a standard. Donald Trump is the greatest threat to democracy ever, 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 except for this guy out of Florida. He could be worse. He might actually be worse. The people over at Morning Joe are probably trying to copyright the, the phrase, it might be worse, or they could be worse. Sell it on T-shirts at uh, Mika's Know Your Value 
summit. Chris Murphy then ends his uh, four-tweet thread with a number five. It's only on tweet number four, but again, he's from Connecticut. Maybe people can't count up there. I don't know. They're basically they're basically Southern Canadian, so you know whatever. Says thus, the United States needs to let this play out and not appear as if we are meddling or taking sides. Our first priority is protecting U.S. citizens and our friends in Ukraine. Huh? Don't get involved. Don't get. We've been. Sending, what, $100 billion, $200 billion to Ukraine, which is the impetus for all of this? It's not because, you know, Putin stole this guy's uh, girl or his mistress or anything like that. This is over Ukraine, if we're to believe the media, which is always iffy. But if we are to believe the media, that's what's going on. Why should we not? We're involved. We're involved. We should then up our involvement by saying, hey, maybe we could end this Ukrainian thing right now. Let Russia recede back into Russian territory. Let them fight. Let them have my wishing for death of a whole bunch of Russians. No, I'm not. But is that not better? Is that not better? If you believe what the politicians have been saying about the importance of Ukraine, my God, it's so important. It's, it's the world's breadbasket. That, that was one of my favorite things when they said this is Ukraine is the world's breadbasket. So much of the world's grain is grown in Ukraine. OK, well, now maybe we'll notice the folly of having so much of the world's grain grown in uh, a corrupt country bordering on another corrupt country that has designs on taking over hard, huge chunks of it at various times. Maybe we should, I don't know, plant some grain someplace else too. maybe move it. It's just like it reminds me of... Uh, what happened in this country with COVID? Remember that? Oh, my God. The world is shut down. And what if, what if we needed antibiotics? What if we needed crucial medicines? And we rely so much on China, on what's going on in China for our antibiotics, for our this, for our that. We need to insource, insource the supply. That was the big thing, man. I think a whole bunch of Capitol Hill staffers got tramp stamps saying, uh, insource the supply chain, the medical supply. Has you, have you seen major pieces of legislation rolling through has there been groundbreaking and we're going to move in all these chips and all these medicines and all these important crucial things that we're going to start mining here for rare earth elements so we don't have no you haven't people stopped paying attention people moved on people moved on so they stopped talking about it ukraine is different because there literally is so much money being thrown over there there's no real accountability that I'm not unsure that given the web of money laundering that Hunter Biden set up, there isn't uh, his tentacles over there still, just sort of by default. They're just throwing money or bribe money around and greasing the wheels. And like, Hunter, here's $100,000. We, we just threw $100,000 into Hunter's second Swiss bank account through 15 LLCs twice removed. Oh, well, what are you going to do? I'm sure he's still making money. He just got his child uh, support cut from 20000 a month to 5000 a month, but 5000 a month still isn't anything to sniff at when you're paying about $20,000 a month to rent a mansion to live. And, you know, while paint-by-numbers are cheap when you buy in bulk, eventually it does add up. Lastly, I guess Chris Murphy added one more tweet to it. His sixth tweet Number six tweet, as he writes, in a five-tweet thread says, But this moment will have serious international implications. Every nation 
that has sided with Moscow or remained on the sidelines for the Ukraine war will now reassess. Even if Putin survives, he will be badly weakened, as will his efforts in Ukraine. I'm sorry for your loss, Senator. These are the people. These are the leaders. Connecticut, you couldn't do any better. You couldn't find like a Walmart greeter to send to the United States Senate. Instead, you gave us Chris Murphy. Good Lord. I just, I don't, I don't get the idea that you can't possibly think that if, if you start, because that's what they're doing. They're laying the groundwork here. These leftists like Chris Murphy, go, if you're laying the groundwork for trying to, I don't know, bring about peace in Ukraine, you're capitulating to Putin. How? His military coalition. Look, one of the, we should be grateful for Putin's invasion of Ukraine for one very reason. And I know, I just, I felt a million pearls be clutched across the country. Just, oh, what? What did you just say? Will you be grateful for war? What are you, a warmonger? Are you a Putin apologist? What are you, secretly a Trump or something? But no, it served a great purpose. Russia is a problem, certainly, no question about it. But we didn't realize, apparently, or the people who knew kept it a secret because there was, I don't know, money to be made, defense contracts to be signed and grifts to be, grifts to be had. But the invasion of Ukraine and the dis- just failure of the invasion of Ukraine has exposed Russia not completely as a paper tiger, but as a big fat tiger that gets winded climbing up the stairs. If that makes sense. Because why? Well, because we were told, and I was let look, when I was a kid, it was Russia. They're the evil in the world. And they were. They were communist Soviet Union. But we were always told what? That their military nearly rivaled us. And it was mutually assured destruction. It was terrible. And they were bad. And in movies like Red Dawn, they were involved in invading the United States. They were that powerful. They could do that. And now it turns out that they, they can't take a piece of Ukraine. And how did that happen? Was it, it's probably because, and we've known this for a long time, that the Putin regime throughout its entirety, depending on what position he's had, he's been in power for like 20 years, is basically a piggy bank for him to raid. And when at the top you're living like high on the hog, People down the food chain will then see that and go, well, I got a salary of this, but, you know, if I, I could take a little bit from here, I could shave a little off. The, and everybody ends up shaving off the top. There wasn't really the projection of a war. Nobody really thought they were going to go to war with Western Europe or the United States or anything or China. So there wasn't really the need to do that. The equipment they had in the 80s is still a tank, is still a tank, is still a tank. If the engine runs, it's good. And then maybe you start slacking on the maintenance there, but you still got 10,000 tanks. What do you, if only uh, 9,000 of them start, what does it matter? You know, you, you just begin to justify it. And then everybody starts wetting their beaks and all down the line, everybody's getting a slice and the corruption goes and people get fat and get lazy and get complacent and get rich and they just keep the status quo. And then every once in a while, all you've really got to do if you're in the military over there in the brass is make sure that everybody can goose step through Red Square in unison, right? If you can goose step for five minutes without getting winded, it's okay. If you're not tripping all over each other and a whole brigade just falls down like it's a Monty Python skit, we'll be fine. 
the tanks will roll. We'll, we'll go through the 10,000 tanks and we'll find 500 that can drive six miles and we'll march them through. And you project the air of success, the air of strength. And meanwhile, the more strength you can project with less means the more there is to scrape off the top. I don't think all of it was scraped off the top, but a good chunk of it was scraped off the top. And the people doing the scraping were looking less and less at whether or not what was left is capable of doing the job it was supposed to do. And you end up with a situation where they go, we're going to go into Ukraine, and they don't even have the tactical thought to go, hey, maybe maybe it's not a good idea to go through a whole bunch of dirt roads that are frozen right now that are going to start thawing right as we're going through them in giant tanks, very heavy tanks, and they're all going to get stuck. Remember they were stuck in uh, in the mud for a long time? It's just like, how is that? Patton be rolling over in his grave if an American tank got stuck in the mud? Because, first of all, it'd be bad planning. Why are you rolling through mud at this time? So what it did, what the invasion of Ukraine did, was sort of really expose what Russia truly is versus what, you know, growing up in this country and being told the history of the Soviet Union and living through part of it and everything, what we thought Russia was. We see it's a bit of a paper tiger. Not completely. They still have nukes. Who knows if they work? Knock wood. We don't ever find out if they work. But it's, there's a good possibility that a bunch of them could be completely rotten, could be completely damaged, could have all sorts of problems with it. Just like every other piece of equipment that they seem to be dragging into Ukraine. So in that sense, it's good. In that sense, we could use that to our advantage to stop the hemorrhaging for Russia and say, hey, maybe you want to stop this. Maybe we can come to some agreement. We're not going to put Ukraine in NATO. NATO serves, Ukraine in NATO really serves no purpose whatsoever. You pull out of the Donbass region, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that deal was reachable. Maybe it's still reachable. I don't know. But it it seems like you should be trying to reach a deal. Instead, anytime somebody suggests that maybe we, I don't know, look into look into peace a little bit. The left unleashes their army. Actually, not even the left. The Bill Crystal's well, he's left, but the uh, neocons they unleash the army of flying monkeys on the world. Going, how dare you suggest peace? Don't you know how much money's to? I mean, don't you know how much uh, peace is to be won through the continued murder of people or whatever they talk about? Just seems seems strange to me. So instead, you get a whole bunch of people peacocking around about how brave they are to stand up to things, for things, against things, whatever, that they're not directly involved in. They Meanwhile, they continue to send truckloads of our money. I'd be really good. At a, there are a few things that without me ever having tried to do it, I know I would do exceedingly well, one of which is spending other people's money. I have a feeling I'd be, because I'm pretty good at with, with my own. But if I had unlimited access to other people's money, man, I'd be an Olympic champion. We have to now turn our attention to Hunter Biden. He's living large. Speaking of living large and, and corruption and Ukraine and all of these things. And it, it's so weird that everywhere you look where the United States has um, interests, 
There's two ways. The United States has to have interests because you've got to have a product to sell. And Lord knows the Bidens don't produce anything. They don't, they don't offer any goods or services that anybody can name or whatever. They've got more LLCs than most cities in America. But for some reason, you can't name one thing like uh, that a Biden does. What do, what do Bidens do? And like, oh, yeah, he bought that new uh, widget from the Biden company. It was great. No, there's nothing. Or we uh, hired Bo Biden, or not Bo Biden, that'd be, although he's probably still getting money too. Uh, we hired Hunter Biden and Ashley Biden to do what? I don't really know. We just, uh, we, we had too much money and we decided to, uh, to throw some of them at people named Biden, because why not? Well, it's the damnedest thing. You go to any section of the world where there is corruption, political corruption, totalitarianism, so there really isn't anybody to question the corruption. Like We have corruption in this country, but you know we have elections that, that matter and people get thrown out and people occasionally, not very often, do get punished for their corruption, but they, they will get thrown out of office a lot more often than they will get punished for their corruption. But over in China, you're not really punished for your corruption. You get punished for being the wrong type of corrupt. You took too big of a slice of the pie. You, you, uh, you took G's slice. You took a couple crumbs off G's plate. And then you'll be disappeared or you embarrassed him or whatever. Then you'll be disappeared. That doesn't happen here in the United States. So if you are interested in grifting and taking bribes, selling bribes, selling access, selling U.S. foreign policy, you go to those kind of countries because nobody's going to talk. You talk, you embarrass the leadership, you disappear. They have every incentive to keep their mouth shut. Plus, transferring money from, say, Ukraine or Romania or China, it's possible you set up 15 LLCs and you run the money through that and the regulators can't find it, don't really know what's going on. But if they do trace it back, there's going to come a point where they are in, they've traced it back to these despotic regimes. They're not going to cooperate. They're in on it. They're not, not going to rat on the, It'll be like a mafia Don telling everybody where the bodies he ordered killed are buried. Like He's not going to do that. It would just dig his own grave. So the, you got to give credit to the Bidens for their forethought. And it's not very often you give credit for to any Biden for having thought something through. But the forethought of going all right, if we're going to do this, we have to do it under very strict circumstances. We can't send people up to Canada and start shaking down the Trudeau administration because that's too close. We can't go to the UK or to Germany because we have a, a friendly relationship with those countries and regulators and, and mutual treaties and agreements and everything. They would find it there. We have to only, only sell access to places where the zeros on the checks that we send them are much smaller and there is internal corruption so they won't be able to trace it back and it's worked out well for the Bidens. Joe has at least two mansions currently. How many mansions do you have? Probably probably only one. If if that. He's got an oceanfront mansion in Rehoboth Beach. Do you have an oceanfront mansion in Rehoboth Beach? Well, he was bragging about being the poorest public servant in all of Congress, Joe Biden managed to buy an estate that was created and built and owned by the DuPont family. 
you own anything by the DuPont family, not DuPont products, but anything that they owned, probably not. How did he manage to do all of this on a humble public servant's salary? It's, it's one of those questions for the ages that nobody actually wants to ask. It's very interesting. I did, when I was writing about uh, Joe Biden and his corruption recently, I went and looked up congressional salaries because, you know, like, okay, well, what was it? How could he, how could he afford an estate, a DuPont estate? From the money, like, well, now they're making almost $200,000, $174,000. Nothing to sniff at. You could probably live pretty well outside of the D.C. metro area, outside of Manhattan and outside of California. You could probably live reasonably well off of that money. But, see, Joe Biden bought that estate back in the 70s when he was just a lowly, lowly, humble public servant, which indicates that he has been on the, the uh, grift for a very long time. And I looked it up. Back in 1969, which was the last year that there was a raise, in 1965, members of the House and Senate were making $30,000 a year, which 1965 money, probably pretty good. But 1969, they gave themselves a pretty big raise, a $12,500 raise, matter of fact. So the pay went up to $42,500. Pretty, pretty sweet deal. If you translate that into current dollars, this was the time that they were really, really raking it in. See, at $30,000 in 1965, that's like $257,962 today. When they jacked it up by 12500 that brought the congressional salary to $314,045 in today's dollars. Now, they don't even, they're only getting $174. 174000 today. So you could see that in the 60s and 70s, they were living pretty high on the hog. And that is when a young, starry-eyed Joseph Robinette Biden, he probably hadn't even begun his weird side-booping of Hollywood actresses and hair-sniffing career at that point. His, he came in in 1974, I think it was the election, 72, whatever. But by 1975, they raised the salaries again from $42,500 to $44,600. Now, it's telling. This tells you how awful the 70s were from an economic standpoint. In real dollars, in today's dollars, that went from $314,000 in 1969 to, even though it increased by uh, $2,100 in 2013, or 2023 dollars, it's only 200 and $24,000. You can see the inflation beat the heck out of them, but still nothing to sniff at. So saying and complaining and saying, well, I'm the poorest member of the, uh, of the Congress is a little bit misleading. You call yourself middle-class Joe and lunchbox Joe and all that stuff, but you might be poor, but you're the poorest kid at your boarding school, Right. You've got the smallest trust fund at your boarding school. That doesn't make you Oliver Twist. But somehow on that salary, Joe Biden managed to buy himself his first estate, a big old DuPont mansion. I recommend you go and look for it. They have pictures of it online. It's a lovely, lovely place. It's a really beautiful looking place. And you go, wow, for a poor guy entering public service, making the sacrifice to enter public service, that's a... 
That's a heck of a deal there. What a, what a hero he is. But the pay just continued to rise, obviously, as you might imagine. In uh, 20, uh, 1977, it was up to 57,000. 1979, it was up to 60,000. 82 went up to 69,000. See, this is what I mean when I say that I'd be exceedingly good at spending other people's money. These people are voting themselves raises. There was no national referendum on whether or not we should double their pay inside of 20 years. Nothing of the sort. In fact, you go back to, uh, they hit five digits for the first time in, uh, according to this list, 1925. That was when the congressional salary was $10,000. Then they actually dialed it back to 9,000. They rolled it back. They took a pay cut to 9,000 until 1935 when it went back to $10,000. Since 1935, it has gone up to $174,000. I'm sure they'll be giving themselves raises very soon. That's not to mention the pension that they give themselves, fully funded by us, of course, because, again, who wouldn't be and couldn't be incredibly generous with other people's money. But it is worth noting that Joe Biden managed to amass a bit of a a real estate empire. A, a, he, he was never without. His whole life in the United States Senate, Joe Biden never went and uh, thought, geez, I really should, I'm not sure, should I make this purchase? Should I do this thing? I tell this story a lot and it's worth repeating. There was one point in my life, I'd love to have that sort of security. I probably have it, but I just don't feel, I just don't feel comfortable with money. You grow up with not a lot of money and you just are constantly nervous about money. But there was one point, I don't know, 15 years ago, I'm in a Target on a Saturday buying whatever, shampoo, whatever it is. I'm in a Target and I realized I just had a really good month. I had a consulting gig that I did. I had a really good month and it occurred to me that I could buy anything in Target without really breaking a sweat over it. I just buy any. And now the most expensive thing in a Target at that time was like a $1,200 TV. But if you know me, I would have labored over that a, a thousand times over before I ever bought it and then waited for it to be on sale and whatever. But at the time, that was the most expensive thing in Target, at least that I was aware of. And I thought, you know, I could buy a whole bunch of stuff at Target. Anything, really, and not... Not have to worry about it all that much. Eventually, I would if I didn't replenish the money. But you know, I just I I got the money, and it was a weird, perverted feeling. And I started finding myself sort of looking at things, going, "I should throw that in the basket." And I'm like, "I don't need that." What what are you doing? It perverted my worldview. Billionaires have that. You imagine being everywhere you are, and at any moment, you just look around and go, "I can buy anything. I can do anything." The the waiter ticks me off. I'll buy the restaurant. I'll buy the chain. I'll buy, you know, if you're Elon Musk and you don't like the way that somebody's tweeting things, you know know what, I'll buy Twitter. I'll just buy Twitter and change the rules to be what I want them to be. Joe Biden has kind of lived a life like that. And into that life, his children were born. And into that life, his children were raised in that life. And therein, I think, lies the root of the problem why at least two of three, we don't know about Bill, but at least two of the three presidential children ended up being various forms of degenerates. You don't get to be a various form of degenerate or any form of degenerate without some sort of really poor upbringing. 
the Biden family managed to live above their means for the entirety of Joe's term in public life. You think at certain points some journalist would go, "Hey, well, you know what? That'd be that'd be an interesting story." Now I know they don't want to expose Joe's corruption. They're 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 in the business of propping him up, not exposing him. But at some point, you might go, "Okay, you don't want to expose the Biden corruption, but how about we?" Uh, we do a story of how you too can live like a Biden. You can live on a relatively modest salary and live like a king because that seems like a good thing. Some author out there, there's a lot of books written about how to live well on whatever your income level is. Live like a Biden. There's a there's a book idea. Go ahead. Run, run with that one. It seems like that'd be a pretty damn good book idea, right? I'd buy it. I want to know how to live like a Biden. But then I don't have anything to sell. I don't have access to sell. I don't have U.S. foreign policy to sell. They picked, like I say, they picked their targets well. What's telling is you sit there and you go, well, wouldn't somebody have noticed? Wouldn't somebody? How many times have you heard about $100 billion in Medicare fraud? People don't notice. It's, there's so much money. We're talking about but $5 trillion the federal government throws around every year. $5 trillion. Do you have any idea what a trillion is? You, you can't have. Elon Musk doesn't even know what a trillion is. The best way to put it, my, uh, my friend's mother once told me this, and I actually went home and I pulled up a calculator and I did the math on it. A million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 33 years. And a trillion seconds is more than 32,000 years. That's huge. The federal government will spend four, five, six trillion dollars this year. Who knows? They'll just, they, they're spending money. They don't even count it anymore. We, we just pretend. That's a lot of money. So you sit there and you go, somebody would have picked up on somebody would have, no, no they wouldn't. They wouldn't notice it. It's $5,000 for a hammer. Why? You just submit a receipt for an invoice for $5,000 and they pay it. Why? Because they get 200,000 invoices a week. You think going to go through all of them? Maybe they'll discover it in five or 10 years, but you'll be retired on the beach by then. Just make sure you buy your uh, escape home in a country without extradition and you'll be fine. So if you're sitting there and you're going, well... We offered a billion dollars. It does. It when when uh, Joe Biden was bragging about. I told the uh, the guy, if you don't fire the prosecutor looking into Burisma, if you don't fire him, you're not going to get the billion dollars. Like, well, billion dollars. It's a it's a huge amount of money to a normal human being. But in the grand scheme of things, to government, it doesn't matter. China gave Hunter Biden a billion dollars to invest to play with in a hedge fund. He had no experience. And you go, well, why would they throw away that kind of money on? Because maybe someday his father would be president of the United States. And they still have the money. If he lost half, it's still $500 million. They, they can get it back. They're not going to get it all back. But it's worth the risk to give him the 3% commission bribe for something that he doesn't do, he doesn't know anything about. And if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. Because a well, billion dollars is a lot of money to you and me. But to China, a billion dollars is nothing. A billion dollars is nothing to them. So you look around at the corruption and you go, why are they throwing money at the Bidens? Why are they throwing? Because maybe, just maybe, one day he's going to run for president. They'd already set up the infrastructure, the pathways to bribe, to grift 
through his brothers and his kid. As his vice president, they really hit the ground running on it. And then after the four years when he wasn't in government, they the money kept rolling in. Well, why would you bribe him then? Because there was a chance he was going to run. There's a chance he was going to run. So you just take that chance. I guarantee you these companies and these entities and these countries and these governments, they were throwing money around to a whole bunch of politicians' kids, ingratiating themselves to family members all across the country because you never know. who They're doing it now. Who's going to be president in 10 years? I don't know. But if you throw money around, you're going to be in good shape. You probably hit some of them with some money. Jennifer Granholm. Governor of Michigan had to leave the state to get a job. He had to go to California. They put her on a board of an electric vehicle company. Why? She didn't know anything about electric vehicles. She didn't know anything about cars. But they knew she was a Democrat superstar who was probably going to end up in an administration at some point down the line. Lo and behold, she's now Secretary of Energy. And that paid off. Perfectly legal corruption. And the concept of perfectly legal corruption has to bring us to Hunter Biden. And we have some some audio of the uh, the his, his historic Karen uh, Jean Pierre. She's his, did you know she's historic? Now she's even said that she's historic. It was said as sort of a pejorative, as a joke, as a, a mock of her, and now she's em- embracing it too because, I mean, when you're as bad as she is at the job, I guess you've really got, you just got to kind of plow through it. You just plow through it and go, you know what? I got to punch the clock. There'll be an MSNBC show waiting for her on the other end of it. She'll be fine. She'll have money, or maybe it's a CNN show and C- CNN will hire her. Remember when uh, when Sean Spicer left the White House? left the Trump administration, all the networks, including Fox, said, we're not interested. We're never going to, never, he hadn't even left. And like, we're not going to hire him. No, no way. And it's like, what, why the hell you do that? And then uh, you get Jen Psaki, who I affectionately call Ginger Goebbels. She leaves the White House. Before she even leaves the White House, she's negotiated herself a show on MSNBC. I'm not really sure how ethical that is. But then again, you know, we're dealing with Democrats. So, I'm not sure ethics applies, but it's just very interesting and very telling that you're sitting there. And you, she just negotiated her next job while in her current job, and nobody thought anything weird of it. Nobody thought, oh, she's got her press credential in her pocket already. But uh, don't worry, the, the media will be honest, honest broker. They'll be, they'll be as dogged with her as they ever were, even though they're now colleagues and coworkers. Like, yeah. I guess they would be as dogged as they ever were because they were never dogged. So, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up. But Corinne Jean-Pierre, every once in a while, the press corps does do their job. They do do journalism, if only by default, if only because they have no other choice, if only so they can check the box. And it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. Will there be follow-up to these exchanges I'm going to play you because – it is uh, one thing for them to have happened, and they happened on a Friday. They didn't really make the newspaper, like Ken Vogel from the uh, New York Times tweeted about, hey, it's really weird because this text message from Hunter Biden saying, I'm sitting with my dad, you best be giving me my money, that uh, that was sent. And then like a couple days later, all this money 
comes rolling in to these accounts. That's a little weird. What a strange coincidence. That's one thing to uh, for Ken Vogel to have tweeted about it. But will Ken Vogel write about it in the New York Times? Will the New York Times cover it? That's the real story. That's the real question. It's It remains to be seen. And if they do, they'll do it in a way that, like, here's what Republicans are saying and here's what Democrats are saying. There's no independent verification. We don't even bother trying to pretend to independently verify anything. We now can claim we have checked the box and we don't owe anybody anything. So when we're accused in a couple of months of having not covered the scandals with the Biden, we can point to this story and say, see, we wrote it up. And it's a Republicans pounce story. That's how the media works. But on Friday, the media actually did again. It was a Friday, so there's no real risk. Sunday is the least Friday and Saturday are the least trafficked days in media. So as few people as possible would see it. But it'll be interesting to see if the Sunday show if from the Sunday shows and then it carries into next week. Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about Hunter Biden because, you know, the guy pleaded guilty to two tax misdemeanors. You don't pay taxes for two years. It's just kind of a oopsie. No big shake. Somebody else pays your tax liability. They give you a loan. What are the terms of the loan? Don't know. Are you paying uh, taxes on the loan or is it a gift or what? Don't know. Don't ask. Don't do anything. You forgot, according to the New York Times, he didn't pay a million and a half. It's really weird. You can't get straight numbers and answers out of any of these people. They just don't bother to, they don't have to. When the media is in the tank for you, you don't have to worry about serious follow-up questions, except on rare occasion. On rare occasion. Then they will. And Friday was one of those rare occasions. But I do want to point out here, just before we get to that, this one paragraph from the uh, New York Times story about this from last week, from the, the plea be- deal story. Said in a statement Tuesday, Mr. Weiss, he's the prosecutor, said Mr. Biden had earned more than $1.5 million in each of 2017 and 2018, but failed to file income tax returns despite owing the government more than $100,000 each year. Wait, $1.5 million plus $1.5 million. I'm not breaking out the calculator or anything, but I think that's close to like $3 million. $3 million and you owe $200,000 in... In taxes, that's not even 10%. That's not even 10%. Joe Biden insists that the rich pay their fair share. How is it that this is just sort of casually mentioned near the end of this story and not the crux of the story? How do you get, give me 3 million and I'll happily give the government 200,000. No sweat, no problem, no argument. I'll do it with a smile. I'll, I'll hand deliver it with chocolates. But don't worry, Hunter Biden got special, didn't get special treatment. Anyway, a couple days later, Hunter shows up at the state dinner for the prime minister of India. Because why? Because why not? You know how many moneyed corporations and rich people there are in India? There's, uh, yes, there's abject poverty in India, but there is incredible wealth too. So, of course, Hunter and uh, Joe's brother had to be there. They worked the room. You think they slowed down? No, they're just getting more cautious. They're getting a little bit more private. There's no way they're slowing down. 
It's too much. You got to make hay while the sun is shining. If Joe loses the election next year, there is no gravy train to go. There is no more products to sell. It's like the Clintons and the Clinton Global Initiative. Once, once Hillary lost in 2016, the donations dried up. Why did suddenly people, these countries, these companies stop caring about sending mosquito nets to sub-Saharan Africa? Said to hell with it, let malaria have it? No. It was never about sending mosquito nets. It was like, here's $10 million for mosquito nets from Saudi Arabia to the Clinton Global Fund to buy mosquito nets. Well, uh, if you just look at a map, Saudi Arabia is not that far from sub-Saharan Africa. They could buy mosquito nets and ship them directly, cut out the middleman. No, it was about getting $10 million into the hands of the Clintons. Then she loses and the money dries up because there's nothing left to sell. That's why they sort of flirted with, well, maybe Bill could be the uh, the head of the UN or maybe uh, maybe Chelsea will run for Congress. They tried to sell Chelsea. Maybe Chelsea, she has all the personality of a pair of sweaty gym socks. But Maybe she could be in, in, in government. Something. We need something to sell. And then they just realized that it probably wasn't worth the hassle or the embarrassment if they lost. Well, with Joe, after Joe, there's nobody else. Hunter isn't going to run for office. Bo was the golden child. Bo was the one they were going to hand the torch off to so that a future generations of Bidens would be able to sell access and peddle influence. And then Bo passed away. That was it. Hunter was never set up for it. You just know at some point, his whole life, Hunter knew he was not the favorite. Just one of those things. And that's probably why he was led to a life of drugs. But you would think, in a sense of decorum, you'd go, you know what, sit out. There's a lot swirling around about our family selling access and influence, but maybe we sit out this one state dinner, but you can't do that. And you don't do that if you're Joe Biden and you've been getting away with it your whole life. There's one guy from the New York Post who occasionally shouts a question to you that you just go, come on, man, and then laugh. Where's the money? And that's it. if that's the amount of scrutiny that you face, why wouldn't you continue to be corrupt? Why wouldn't you still embrace that corruption? Well, Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about this. And the text message that I'm sitting here with my daddy and we're wondering where that five million bucks is and you better pay us or I swear we're going to come after you like a bunch of rabid spider monkeys. And suddenly there is no page in the binder about this. There is no page in the binder about how to deal with this crap. And uh, she turns from an illiterate Moron, unable to string together a coherent sentence into Sergeant Schultz, Corinne Jean-Pierre does. I know nothing. I see nothing. The White House Counsel's Office has issued a statement, and that's all we'll be saying. She did When she was denying that Joe Biden knew anything about his, his son's business or his brother's business, she had no qualms whatsoever about talking about it from the podium. None whatsoever. But now that that has fallen apart, that that has proven to be a lie beyond a reasonable doubt, she suddenly goes, I couldn't. I'm, I'm just going to stick to that. And she wouldn't even read the comment. She wouldn't even read the comment from the White House Counsel's Office. She was sent out there with the express orders of these words are not to leave your mouth. Do not give them anything they can use, except for you refusing to comment on the nightly news. We can't 
can't get rid of that, but you don't give them anything else. No fuel for the fire. So this first exchange is uh, very interesting and telling, but it only really matters if it goes on this coming week. That remains to be seen, but at least it did happen, so we'll highlight it for you. And then secondly, um, the president invited his son Hunter to the state dinner last night. Um, I'm wondering if you could take us into the thinking and decision-making of why uh, the president decided to invite I, his son. I'm just not going to get into family discussion, personal family discussion. As you know, Hunter is his son. I'm just not going to get well, into it. Let me ask you this. If, if Hunter Biden wasn't the president's son, would he have invited someone who had just reached a plea agreement with federal prosecutors? Well, a, co- a couple of things. Again, that's his son. It's a, he's a family member. It is not uncommon for family members to attend uh, events at the White House. You could look at past presidents. I'm sure you have. So that is not uncommon. Uh, as it relates to anything uh, uh, related to, uh, to Hunter, I'm just not going to respond to it from here. Can I follow up on that? Okay. No, I just called in somebody. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but I mean, so Kirby wouldn't answer James's question, though. Are you going to answer the question? I mean, not a reasonable question to ask no. whether the President of the United States was involved, as this message seems to suggest, in some sort of a coercive conversation for business dealings by a son. Is that something, if he wasn't, then maybe you should tell us. So here's the thing, I, and I appreciate the question. I believe my colleague uh, at the White House Council uh, has answered this question already, has dealt with this, has uh, uh, made it very clear. I just don't have anything to share outside of what my colleagues have shared, uh, and so I would refer you to him and the, D- and the DOJ. Just not going to comment from here. I will. What I can tell you is, I know that my colleague has dealt with this. He he uh, addressed this at the White House Council. I just don't have anything else to share. I just I just answered the question. I just answered the question. Yes or no? Was the president involved in the shakedown attempt? Stephen. Stephen. I just answered the question. I just said. I just. This is. It's not up to you how I answer the question. I just answered the question by telling you my colleagues at the White House Council has dealt with this, and I would refer you to them. Go ahead. Can you just remind us what your colleague said from the White House Council so we have it? I would, I, would, I would refer you to them, and they will share their statement with all of you. Yeah, no, I'm not. you're not going to get me to recite anything. I have been given very strict orders, and if there is one thing at which progressives excel, as we learned tragically in the last century, it is following orders to a T. They are very, very good at that. It's the first time she's ever had messages, but I'm not going to I'm not going to comment on it. You know, it was drilled into her head. You know, it was drilled into her head. You better not give. I don't care how historic you are. You better not give them anything they can use. And for whatever, for the love of God, do not improvise. Do not improvise. You can't you can't read a sentence you wrote aloud without screwing it up. So please don't improvise. It's only downhill from there. But that was a, it was weird, actually, to watch that exchange, wasn't it? And to hear that exchange, you're like, wait a second. They're, they're, that's, that, what is that that you're doing there in the White House press? What is it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's journalism, right? They're, they're, they're trying to get answers to questions that are pretty relevant. A pretty relevant question is, hey, is the president of the United States and his family corrupt? Have they been so? That's a kind of an important question. At some point, you'd think somebody would ask it. And then finally, they said, oh, we're going to ask it today. And you're going, wow, what is this that I'm seeing? This is, this is so weird. I'm not used to it. They weren't done. They were not done. They kept going. Your statements from that podium, you've stated 
that the president stands by his comment from the 2020 campaign that he never once discussed his son's overseas business dealings with his son. And you stood at that podium and you reaffirmed that. Do you stand by your reaffirmation? I, what I will say is nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And I will leave it there. Anything else, I will refer you to the White House counsel. This is not a change? I just answered the question. You asked, You just asked me, do, does my statement change? I just told you nothing has changed. That's answering the question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm calling on your colleague right now. Go ahead. Thank you. To, to follow up on my colleague, is there anything that you can say with regard to this text message and what the president's son was alleging? Was the president there or not? I would refer you to my colleagues at the White House Council. They have addressed this, and I refer you to them. Go ahead. Karine, have you spoken to the president about this? Have you asked him whether he was there with his son on July 30th? This is not a conversation that I've had with the president. Again, I would refer you to the White House counsel. Do you plan to have that conversation no. with the president? No. Did the president speak with the attorney general at all? I, can, I, I, I cannot say uh, if the president uh, had had a conversation with the attorney general last night. What I can refer you to is the White House counsel's office as it relates to the uh, allegations. Uh, they've already addressed this. This is something for them to deal with. I refer you to the Department of Justice on anything else if you don't want to speak to the White House counsel's office. And there was reporting earlier in the week that after the plea agreement was reached by Hunter Biden, that the president felt relieved that that part of it was behind him. Is that true? Can you speak I can't to speak to that. Then? I cannot speak to the president's mindset. Again, I would refer you to the White House counsel's office. It's amazing what you don't know when you don't ask. It's amazing what you can't find if you don't look. Corinne Jean-Pierre's willful ignorance. I haven't talked to anybody about it. Oh, really? It's kind of a big story. The fact that you're running away from it and you refuse, and the second somebody brings it up in a, in a briefing, you stick your fingers in your ear and go, la, 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 and run out of the room. I'm not listening to you. It's kind of telling. At least it's kind of telling for me. So while you've got all this going on, and, and, and again, it really matters. They have done this before, occasionally by accident, and usually on Fridays or before three-day weekends. The people in the White House press briefing room will practice a bit of journalism, whether or not that translates into stories. I can promise you that none of these outlets have dispatched a team of reporters to do digging. They don't do that. Journalists don't do investigations anymore. They, they open emails. They open emails and get, oh, uh, somebody told me this. They, they reprint, repurpose press releases. And a scoop is being chosen to be the first person to get the press release. It's so sad what happened to that profession. But this story out of the New York Post kind of cracks me up because it, it, it shows you a level of arrogance that can really only come from knowing or at least having the belief that you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. That you, you, you a lifetime of getting away with it would bring about somebody doing something like that. You know, what do I mean? Look, there are, there are people who, imagine you're living in this, just, well, just keep it in the realm of reality. How many times would you suspect, if you had to guess, and we don't know because, again, journalists don't practice journalism anymore, but if you had to guess, how many run-ins with the police would Hunter Biden have had growing up? I, I, the over-under is probably like 25, and I would probably still bet the over. But you know, after a couple of times when the parties got out of hand while they were in high school, 
And the police showed up and they start grabbing kids and they grab Hunter Biden, who is like, don't you know who my dad is? I don't care who your dad is. Let's go. And then a couple of phone calls are made and suddenly who his dad is becomes wildly relevant. And sooner or later, the sergeants, the desk sergeants across the state of Delaware, they go, you know, just it's Hunter. Let him go. Just let him go. And then Hunter will start going, what about my friend Tony? He doesn't need to go. All right, you two go. What about these girls? All right, you go, and you just start getting away with it. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And so you end up in a life where you go, I'm going to film myself having sex with prostitutes. I'm going to film myself having sex with, with women who are obviously human trafficked, sex trade workers from Eastern Europe. There's no, there's no question about it. The, the, these, if you've seen any of the videos where he's talking to these girls, they have the very heavy Eastern European accent. They're not happy. They're a lot like you can tell that they've been abused. And you're just sitting there going, this is, this is what this guy likes. This is, he, he doesn't like it. He doesn't care. He likes the, the pliability of it. He likes the fact that they will do whatever. Whatever he tells them to do, they'll do it because he knows that all he has to do is say, I'll tell your pimp. And they know that all he has to do is tell their pimp. And so the the consequences of not doing whatever sick thing Hunter wants to do are too great. And so they let it go. And it become, it, you get to that point. Nobody is at 40 years old going, you know what? I've had a pretty good life. Happily married man, couple of kids, having a good time, successful career. But you know what? I feel like I've missed out on smoking a lot of crack and sleeping with a whole bunch of prostitutes. And so I'm going to later in life turn into a degenerate. No, you don't turn into a degenerate later in life. You have a long career, storied career, as a degenerate at that point. And the only way you can have a long and storied career as a degenerate at that point is if you have been getting away with it for so long. And they have. He has been getting away with it for so long. It's worth noting. So now you end up in a situation where Hunter, and this, is, this might be my favorite thing. I, I need to find Hunter Biden's accountant. Headline, New York Post. Hunter Biden deducted payments to prostitute sex club from his taxes, according to Whistleblower. <laughs> what is that? Is that, uh, is that Form 69? Hunter Biden illegally deducted tens of thousands of dollars in payments made to a prostitute and a sex club from his... I don't know. I have never been and I don't ever plan on going to a prostitute. But aren't these done... I would assume it's a kind of an all-cash business, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that's an all-cash... Shouldn't it be an all-cash... I know, I know back in the 70s, Jerry Springer, when he was mayor of Cincinnati, went to a prostitute and wrote her a check. And there's there's some real credit right there. I'll take, I'm sure this will clear. Yeah, no, that's fine. Just go ahead and give me a check. And I, I completely trust you not to cancel it or whatever. It's a kind of a messed up situation there. But um, after that, I thought that people would go, All right, it's going to be cash. It's going to be, ca-. apparently not. Maybe they, they come with one of those squares now. The prostitute brings, they break out one of those iPad things with the square and they swipe your card. And you, is there, do you want to add a 15% tip? 
No. And then you, you sign it. And would you want the uh, receipt emailed to you? Well, for tax purposes, I would like both a hard copy and the receipt emailed. Who keeps financial records of their prostitution and drug use? Who does that? And then you take it to your accountant and you go, what, what is this Big Eddie's uh, Chicken Shack? What is that? Is that a restaurant? Oh, sort of. I mean, there's a menu, but no, not really a restaurant. And you explain to your accountant, but I was conducting business there. I guess technically Hunter could probably say he was conducting business there since he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't offer it everywhere. His job is to be Hunter Biden. So therefore, wherever he happens to be, he's being Hunter Biden. And therefore, I suppose that makes anything deductible. I'm what do you do for a living? I am a professional degenerate who just gets a lot of money because of my last name. Oh, so everything, everything is deductible, I suppose. (laughs) In a June 1st interview with House Ways and Means Committee, one whistleblower, an unnamed IRS criminal investigator, detailed how Hunter went to great lengths to underreport his income and avoid paying $106,000 in taxes, including by writing off his sex escapades as business expenses. (laughs) Quote, Some of the items that he deducted were personal no-show employees. He deducted payments that were made to who he calls his West Coast assistant. But she was essentially a prostitute, the whistleblower who worked on the agency's investigation into alleged tax fraud perpetrated uh, by President Biden's son's 2018 return, alleged in his testimony. Another whistleblower, IRS Supervisory Agent Gary Shapley, told the committee on May 26 that he found several instances of Hunter improperly expensing flights for prostitutes. <laughs> Quote, there were multiple examples of prostitutes that were ordered, basically, and uh, we have the communications between that where he would pay for these prostitutes, would book them a flight, where even the flight ticket showed their name, and then he expensed those. End quote. The only way you do that is either you're currently smoking crack while you're doing your taxes or you have gotten away with things up to that point that the mortal human being would have been wrecked over. And you just say, why not? I've gotten away with it forever. Why not continue to get away with it? Well, and the pictures, the New York Post, they blur out all these, these women's faces. Wouldn't you think it'd be pretty easy to find some of these women? If a, if a news organization, you know, a, a big corporation, lots of resources all around the country, if you put out these pictures and say, who is it? You could track down these women, get their stories. But there's no interest in that. There's absolutely no interest in that. If he was being as reckless as falling asleep while smoking crack while filming himself smoking crack and falling asleep and then filming himself with all these prostitutes. Don't you think that maybe he would have, I don't know, been reckless about the other things he was talking about? Don't you think that maybe they'd have some relevant information, some insights into this, that a guy with such clear daddy issues might have opened up to these women to the point that they would have something of uh, curiosity to say, but there's nobody looking for him. 
They've all got the pictures because they post the pictures and then they uh, blur out the faces, but they don't try to hunt them down. Instead, they're still trying to cover for the Biden. They're still trying to prop up Joe. They're still trying to prop up Joe. They're still, I'm sure, diehard Barry Bonds fans are going, you know what? The head increasing in size tenfold is, sure, it's a sign of steroid use, but it's also a sign of of just uh, getting too much of that San Francisco Bay Air. Like, no, no, no. Dude, the dude hit the home runs because of the juice. You can argue that it shouldn't matter, but you can't really argue that it didn't happen. It's like arguing that the sun didn't rise in the east. Okay, we all know it did. We all know it did. The New York Times piece about the plea bargain contains this little nugget. And when I'm talking about still covering up for sweet, 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 nourishing Hunter there. said, quote, he went into a downward spiral after his brother Bo died in 2015, becoming addicted to crack cocaine and engaging in tawdry, self-destructive behavior. Wait, so up until 2015, when he was, what, 45, 40-something years old, he was perfectly fine? He was wonderful, according to the New York Times? Well, weirdly, he was run out of the Navy in 2014 for repeatedly testing positive for cocaine, right? That that seems a little bit pre—I I, I don't know. I, I guess I really haven't sat down and looked at calendars— but it does seem as though that was before 2015, if you're playing the home game, to me anyway. So how would it be that he, what is he, preemptively mourning the death of his brother before a year before his brother died, more than a year before his brother died, by doing a lot of cocaine in a position that he had to basically seek special waivers to get into the military. See, Hunter Biden didn't enlist in the military as a young man. He enlisted after the age of 40, and he got a commission somehow. And you're like, how is that even possible? How is that even possible? Well, the Sacramento Bee ran a column on that very thing, because it is such a mystery. This is, of course, a couple years old, and it's just rather curious about this. Now, this is somebody who tried to get the special waiver to become an officer uh, in the, the military after the age of 42. They were unsuccessful because they were not the son of a senator and a vice president. But it says Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, resigned his direct commission as an ensign in the U.S. Naval Reserve, it was reported recently. Although he was 43 years old at the time of his commissioning, Three years over age, he'd sought an age waiver and got it. Biden was serving as a public affairs officer mostly. He went to Norfolk, Virginia once a month and did a weekend of service. See, it's just, it's for show. It's resume building. Maybe they thought we got to try and prop up Hunter since Bo's sick. Who knows? The twist here is that Biden was forced to resign because he had tested positive for cocaine in June 2013. He wasn't drummed out of the military until 2014, but New York Times says he didn't become a drug abuser until 2015 after his brother died. None of it adds up. None of it makes sense. But we're dealing with the New York Times reporters and New York Times readers who aren't going to express any curiosity when doing this. 
It says, a direct commission is a little-known entry point to get into the military. It's a way for experienced professionals to serve. It's mostly done for doctors, nurses, and dentists. But age 40 is pretty much the brick wall for those outside of those disciplines. I know this because I tried to get an age waiver for a direct commission as a Naval Reserve Public Affairs Officer in 2002. I was at least two years younger than Biden. My experience in the Naval Reserve recruiting process was a labyrinth. I tried several times to get interviewed by recruiters and eventually was asked by one of them if I, quote, knew any senators. I did. Actually, senators weren't as much help as a few new friends in the Naval Reserve who held high ranks were. I was then asked to go to the Pentagon for interviews, and then he details all the hoops he went through, and ultimately he did not get his commission. He concludes the piece. Now, why I didn't get the commission is still unclear to me. I still have all the correspondence, and trust me, it's voluminous. But I can tell you that 13 years later, when I read Ensign Hunter Biden got in at 43 and then blew it literally on cocaine, I guess I have to admit I was a little mad. I can only surmise how he got it. I doubt his father even had to make the call. They can read. They can read. That line right there, they can read, goes right to my point. It's uh, Police have arrested Hunter Biden again or pulled him over. He's drunk. He's wasted. He's, all right, we're going to follow you home or we're going to drive you home. You get your car in the morning. Just shut up and don't tell anybody. You get away with it long enough and you'll keep trying to get away with more and you'll keep getting away with more. He said, quote, we're not allowed to do things like that. That's, oh, wait, no. After I was denied the age waiver, I had a long conversation with a man named Blake Gottsman. Gottsman was President George W. Bush's personal assistant and the so-called body man. I asked Blake if he could do anything. He said, quote, we are not allowed to do things like that. That's not how it works, end quote. Maybe Blake worked for the wrong administration. That's the end of the piece. Yes, the Democrats do these sorts of things all the time. That's how Al Gore can go be a journalist in Vietnam to check the box. I served in Vietnam. That's why John Kerry can go sign up. Go, I need to check the box to go to Vietnam, but I don't really want to go to Vietnam, if you know what I mean. All right, don't worry. We'll, we'll make sure you're protected. It's that sort of garbage. It's that sort of stuff. Very, very telling, not surprising, very disturbing, not shocking. But it all paints a picture, speaking of painting, thinking of artists, of how Joe Biden, how the Biden family conducts itself. Because you sit there and you go, well, they wouldn't be this brazen, would they? Yes, they would. You look back and you, you send a text message saying, I'm sitting here with my dad. Send me the money or we're going to really come after you. Nobody would do that. Yes, they would. This is a guy who's had the road plowed for him his whole life, sitting next to the guy who drove the snowplow, who drove the plow, who cleared the road for him, who made sure that there weren't consequences for his bad actions. You get away with things long enough. Like Nobody starts off a murderer, or most people don't start off murderers. You start off doing petty crimes. 
And you say, well, why is there, the murder rates are going up, murder rates, are, murder rates are going up because they're not punishing people for the lower level crimes. Beating holy hell out of somebody used to be a punishable offense. And now it's a, we're sorry we inconvenienced you, sir. Here's no cash bail and uh, we probably will drop the charges by the end of the weekend sort of thing. Will you let people get away with that? And they're going to beat them a little harder. They're going to kick them. They're going to stomp them. They're going to use a bat. They're going to use, if at some point there's no consequence, it will end up, if they don't have a decency gene or somebody in their lives to pull them back, it will end up in a place where somebody gets killed. The same sort of thing here. You get away with low-level degeneracy. You'll get away with higher-level degeneracy and more degeneracy, so on and so forth, and it never ends unless you decide to end it. Now, why would Hunter end it? What cons- what price has he paid? He didn't file taxes for two years, and he's laughing his way to the bank. Never once has anybody been asked, what do you do for this money? Do you, do you sell anything? Do you build anything? Do you make anything? Never once has anybody that even piqued anybody's curiosity who was able to get within earshot of any of them. Joe's been caught in lie after never talked, never once talked to my kids and my brother about their business. Lie after lie. You sure met with a whole bunch of people, business partners and people they're in business with for never having talked to it. So your your brother and your son, they don't talk to you about your businesses, but they, they you allow them to run a personal secret tour of the White House thing for their on their behalf. Is that what you were doing when you were meeting with all these people? Just going to, oh, no, they just want to see the West Wing. That's all. Don't worry. They don't certainly would never want to talk to you about the business that they do and how they can gain advantage by sucking up to people in government. No. Any of that sound believable? None of it sounds believable. None of it passed the smell test. But it doesn't have to sm- pass the smell test because there's nobody sniffing around for it. That's the saddest part of it all. I want to play you some of this Kamala Harris audio. Because it's the anniversary of the Dobbs decision, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and the left is literally beside themselves over this. They're terrified and horrified at all of the, oh my goodness, what are we ever going to do? Abortion now, abortion forever. They, it used to be segregation now, segregation. They're still, the Democrats still love segregation. They, like I say, they, they never change their objective. They just change their tactics. Now in the name of tolerance. And diversity, we must segregate. I'm not really sure how that works, and you could probably hook up a couple of cables to Martin Luther King's grave and power the eastern seaboard with the way that he's over rolling over in his grave and what the the party has done to his words. But on the abortion thing, there's nothing. They don't even love their kids as much as they love abortion. Kamala Harris is out giving speeches about how it's so important woman's right to choose. Here she is talking about her her kid who's now somehow a model, her stepdaughter who's now somehow a model and uh, it's so important that this girl might have to it suffer. Look, just to, not to put it crudely, but getting pregnant is about as easy to avoid as getting hit by a train, right? Don't You don't want to get hit by a train. It's probably not a good idea to sleep on the train tracks, right? Your chances go down significantly of being hit by a train if you if you're not on the train tracks they're only slightly elevated maybe 0.1 percent if you just hang out near train tracks because i suppose the train could derail and hit you that way but otherwise 
I'd say you're pretty safe if you're not near or on train tracks from being hit by a train. Same sort of true for, uh, for pregnancy. Now, there are also all sorts of things when you're on the train tracks. You keep your ears open, keep your eyes open. You look for what's coming down the train, and you can get off. There are certain things like that when it comes to getting pregnant, too, that you could take its precautionary measures. But that's beside the point. That's a little bit too much like work. That's a little bit too much like responsibility, and Democrats are not interested in that. So listen to Kamala Harris lament the idea, and now remember, she constantly, and the left constantly loves and fights and would love nothing more than to limit your First Amendment rights to free speech. They went after religious liberty during COVID, and they want to get rid of, they won't repeal it, but they just want to ignore the Second Amendment. So and forget all the others, too. They're, they're, they're bastardizing. But just keep that in mind as she sits there and talks about rights. So that day, the day that the Supreme Court took a constitutional right from the women of America, I was outraged. In fact, the first person I called was my husband um, because I could just let it all out with him. And my first thoughts really were about our daughter, um, my niece, my baby nieces, my goddaughters, and what this all might mean. I mean, for our daughter, she is going to know fewer constitutional rights than my mother-in-law. And so I think we all, at that moment, um, understood how dire it would be. Mm, it's just horrible. The, the sad piano music in the background just brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? They never actually are ever asked, where in that Constitution does this abortion right come from? Hey, you know, you point a constant because the plain text of the Second Amendment is unambiguous. The plain text of the First Amendment is unambiguous. And they look at that and they go, well, that could mean any number of things. That doesn't mean you can, can, can spew hate words. You can't say hate words. You can't do hate speech. Yeah, you can. It doesn't mean you doesn't mean it, it, the militia thing right there. The militia thing is, uh, doesn't say individuals. It's the right of the people to keep and bear. Now, the founding fathers at the Constitutional Convention labored over every word, every letter, every piece of punctuation in the Constitution. You think when it came to the Second Amendment, they would have just said, eh, let's just toss a word salad and let the future figure it out. No. A well-regulated militia being necessary for free and blah, blah, blah. The right of the people to keep... Now, if they wanted to just be a, a militia members, they would have said, then the right of those militia members to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But they didn't. They said the people, which includes people in militias and people not in militias. Pretty unambiguous. But to a Democrat, they just sit there and they go, geez, I don't know. But somewhere in the Constitution there, they go, ah, oh, there's an absolute guaranteed right to an abortion. I would like to point out that Democrats had 50 years in which to codify Roe. They chose not to in law, in federal law. They chose not to. They didn't even try. They talked about it. They campaigned on, we'll protect Roe. We'll pr then they did nothing to protect Roe. Just like they said, to try to get the Hispanic vote. We desperately will. We will. Uh, we need comprehensive immigration reform. We will do it. We will do it. And then in uh, 2010, they had a supermajority in the Senate, 60 votes. They could have easily passed anything they wanted and a majority in the House, and they didn't even bother to try. They didn't even bother to try passing immigration reform. Why? Because if you do something, how do you campaign on it? How do you campaign promising to do something if you've already done it? They had no intention of ever doing it. They had no desire to ever do it. 
But now they campaign on it like, oh, man, we want this. It is wildly important. Why didn't you do it when you could have? Well, we did health care instead. You can't do two things at once. You couldn't do two. You're telling us constantly how you can do everything all the time. And government is so awesome and so powerful that it can do anything and everything for everybody. But you couldn't pass two major pieces of legislation simultaneously or within a nine-month period. You You just couldn't get that done. Weird, isn't it? It's almost like they're lying. And when it comes to Roe, it's the same thing. We will codify Roe. They're all scrambling. And we've got bills to to make sure that Roe is now in the law. You had 50 years to do something about it. If this was your number one priority that kept you up at night, you're worried about your daughters being punished with, with, with babies, like Obama said, then why didn't you do literally anything? Why didn't you do literally the least amount of things possible? All you have to do is go one piece of legislation, one page of legislation, and pass that sucker in a heartbeat. But then you do that, how do you run on, we're going to protect Roe v. Wade? Hmm? You solve a problem, quote-unquote, how do you run on you're going to solve that problem? Don't get me started. Republicans, I have my own problem with them when they're sitting there going, ah, we need to overturn Roe v. Wade. It is a uh, federal, it's an issue of federalism. All that overturning Roe v. Wade will do is bring it back to the states the way that the founding fathers intended, and they're absolutely right. And then 20 seconds after the Dobbs decision, here comes Lindsey Graham right before an election where he's not up going, do 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 I'm going to introduce a nationwide abortion ban. Like, wait, well... Which part of the concept of federalism did you not understand? Were you just lying? Were you stupid? What are you doing? Well, he's fundraising for himself for future elections. What he did was he inserted himself into every election across the state. I think Lindsey Graham did more than almost anybody to lose Republicans the Senate because Democrats had been, were really mad in June when the Dobbs decision came out. They were mobilized. They were going to promise. They were going to take to the streets. They were going to do this, that, and the other thing. And then... They got less angry. Why? Because they couldn't afford to drive to the protests. Gas was 4 or $5 a gallon. Inflation was through the roof. Food was costing more. People were really starting to get angry about other things. And abortion kind of, they'd forgotten about it. They went straight for the pocketbook issues. And then in comes Lindsey Graham, September, going, oh, remember that thing you were really mad and mobilized about? Well, right before the election, I'm going to remind you of it and go against everything that conservatives have been arguing about the concept of federalism by introducing a national national abortion ban yeah thanks lindsey great work top notch top notch kamala harris wasn't done though she went on again to sort of make the uh the case for federalism she doesn't seem to understand. It's amazing how many times Democrats end up making a case for federalism without knowing it. Because their natural instinct is we, we can't, we must force everybody to do it. We must force everybody to do it. No matter how unpopular it is or how many people don't want it, we must force everybody to do something in the name of justice or whatever. One year later, the majority of Americans are with us. From so-called red states to blue states, from Kentucky to California, when this issue was on the ballot in the midterms, the people voted in favor of allowing women to have the choice about what happens to their body. So going forward, let's not throw up our hands, let's roll up our sleeves. President Biden and I will not stop fighting. 
to make sure that every woman has the right and the choice to make decisions about her own body. I mean, not on vaccines, screw that, but on uh, other things like abortion. Now, I love it. Everywhere it's been on the ballot, we have, we want, okay, well, then congratulations, right? Isn't that sort of the argument? You can still think it's evil. You can still campaign against it. But that is what democracy looks like. Isn't that what you leftists scream and yell at people on college campuses all the time when they dare speak up in a way that you disagree with? It just, I just love the idea. Everywhere we're winning. Okay, then it's not really an affront to women somewhere, is it? Oh, no. You, you gotta. Some women might have to drive to go get an abortion. Okay. Okay. But isn't that kind of what, if like a state decides that they don't want it, isn't that what democracy looks like too? Or does democracy only go in one direction? Oh, yeah, that's right. Democracy always goes in one direction. It really is kind of funny that the people who do scream at the top of their lungs to silence critics, this is what democracy looks like, will take a referendum, say, and uh, when they lose a referendum. They don't go, well, you know, that's kind of what democracy looks like. We'll get them next time. No, they immediately go to court and sue to block the referendum's implementation because, well, that is exactly what democracy doesn't look like, right? It's what totalitarianism looks like. It is, we will try your stupid popular vote way, but if we don't get that, we're going to try and impose it anyway. There was no democracy in the gay marriage debate. It was lawsuits. It was decrees from politicians. It wasn't on the ballot. Then they eventually started putting it on the ballot in places, and it went around the country that way. But then the Supreme Court said, nah, you know what? It's everywhere. It's all good. It's not what democracy looks like. But they don't really care what democracy looks like. They're not interested in democracy. They're interested in their own power. And that's how you can get Kamala Harris, again, the vice president down in, uh, I think it was North Carolina today, or maybe South Carolina, talking about abortion again and trying to, because when you think person of faith, don't you think about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden? Joe Biden's one of those Catholics who are like, yeah, I'm Catholic, but I'm not like Catholic. I'm a devout Catholic. I just don't adhere to anything that the Catholic Church says. But other than that, I like the hats. Huh, okay. Kamala Harris doesn't even try to pretend that much. But I love it when these leftists, secular leftists, try and lecture everybody else about faith. Because it's clear they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They don't understand the concept. They don't understand the ideas behind it. It's completely foreign to them. And it's kind of funny and sad simultaneously to watch and listen to. The majority of Americans, I do believe, agree that one does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling her what to do with her body. <laughs> you don't have to give up your faith. To do, I mean, unless your faith is, is a, you know, life is sacred in any way, shape, or form. But then I guess you kind of have to give But no, it shouldn't be telling a woman what to do with, with her body. The longer and the louder that people fight on this thing, the more I think they're trying to cover up for something. 
Kamala Harris is a, she's an older woman, never had kids. And I find that the most people are like, oh, shout your abortion, shout your abortion. I'm so proud of it. I've had 19 abortions. Yes, abortion's wonderful. Who are you trying to convince? I think you're trying to convince yourself. I think you're trying to say, look, everybody, this is perfectly normal. More people do this thing that I did that kind of haunts me so that when I'm done, uh, at the end of the day, I don't feel so haunted by it alone because there's safety in numbers. Look, if if you abuse animals, you're a monster. But if you can normalize the abuse of animals, they're just like everybody else, right? Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. I don't have a uterus. I'm one of them, what they call the uh, traditional males. But... It just strikes me that when I listen to these people talk, methinks thou doth protest too much. And there has to be more to it. Maybe they're just demonic and they go, you know what? I, I just love abortion for no particular reason. It's just one of the greatest things ever. We should have more of it. Maybe that's who they are and how they are. But I can't, can't believe people are like that. But I do know that there are people who look around and go, hey, we need to, uh, I don't know, we need to, kind of get more people to do what I did. It bothers me. And if I can get more people to do it, if I can surround myself with people who are vocal about how it's wonderful and normal, then maybe I won't feel badly about it anymore or something. Am I overthinking it? Maybe, but probably not. I think I'm right. I usually am. That is all the time we have for today. We did a pretty damn good job of covering everything. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow, and we'll give away the uh, autographed books this week, which means you got till today, till probably about, I don't know, 3, 4 o'clock, to still enter at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Appreciate you listening, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. We'll see you on the morrow. <laughs>